We get to the D's. Tank up that skyboat, send it out on patrol. We gotta keep an eye out for that icky freak. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute presents Waterworld H2O Minutes at a Time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minutes 55 and 56, which begin with Nord taking care of business and end with the Mariner lying about his dirt. Our special guest this week is Liz from the Mean Girls Minute podcast and other sundry projects that may or may not ever happen. And other people's projects, too. Yeah. (laughs) You're a consummate guest on so many different shows. I just pop up places where you least expect me or sometimes hope I'm not. Yeah. (laughs) Tell us, if you will, about your watch history of Waterworld. Like, do you remember it coming out? Have you watched it recently? What's the deal? I don't remember it coming out based on what Amazon told me when I rented it. It was released in the year that I was 10. And so I definitely didn't see it in the theater, but I remember probably the next summer watching it with my dad at his friend's house who we would go over there because he had a pool. (laughs) And so I probably like we had to watch it because it was on when we went in to eat dinner and I may not have seen the whole thing. I may have watched enough of it to like eat some hot dogs off the grill. And then I was probably like, all right, I'm out back in the pool, (laughs) headed back to my own little water world. (laughs) that sounds incredibly appropriate on tv while you were doing something else at your dad's friend's house yeah i think my dad's friend had hbo or something so it was kind of like this is a little special but not as interesting as the swimming pool yeah that sounds about how julia would handle the situation too (laughs) yeah (laughs) given the option swimming pool is always the answer Why would I want to watch a movie about water when I could be in the water? I'm a Pisces. (laughs) (laughs) You obviously watched the clip that we're going to be talking about today, but I asked if you got a chance to watch the full three-hour cut, and your answer was no. (laughs) I did try, because you shared it with me very politely, like a good podcast host, but the file was too large to download onto my iPad, Mm. and... I refused to watch movies on my laptop, and so I just rented the regular version from Prime so I could watch it on my TV. And you mentioned that the regular version did not have most, if any, of the stuff we're going to talk about. So yeah, I think at about uh, 3103 is about where the theatrical release stops. (laughs) A quarter of this chunk of the movie was in the actual standard release. Interesting. Yeah. We're not really paying too close attention to what is standard release and what is Ulysses release. Mm -hmm. So we don't know where those changes have happened. So this whole bit on the boat with Helen, that's not in the theatrical release. No, I think this whole conversation isn't in there and it is alluded to because in a future minute that you'll talk about 
Helen mentions saying she wouldn't drink, but we don't hear her say that in the theatrical cut of it. Oh my goodness. So the line where she says something like, I bet you're thinking that this water would last longer without three people to drink it. That's in the standard cut of it. He says something and then she basically goes to, I said I wouldn't drink. You don't hear her saying, well, she won't drink much and I won't drink at all. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess you get the part on the boat where he takes a drink, where he's drinking out of his weird triangle bottle. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, you know that there must have been other conversation about it because she says, I said I wouldn't drink. The part where he's putting something in the pontoon runners on the side, he shoves stuff and straps it in. That was new. That's a bit of a side detail that only comes back because he mentions it later. I think the most important part is that the first 30 seconds of these two minutes is in the regular edition that you watch. Because that's the important part in my mind. (laughs) Because it wraps up what we talked about last week. Oh, absolutely. The deacon dealing with these atollers. And we pick up with the guy hanging from the wheel. We call him the commerce elder here because he's the one that was hanging out at the bank and described the sundry items that they found on the boat. But he is shouting no because he's trying to insist that the deacon said that the deacon would not kill him, which for the benefit of our listeners to remind them, the deacon only said that the first one who speaks lives. Liz, do you think it's appropriate that the commerce elder tried to sway the situation? And maybe that's a weird way to word it. (laughs) Yeah, that's a weird question. Yeah, I I feel like it was less that he was trying to sway the situation and more that he was trying to make sure that it carried out as he understood the bargain. And when I was watching this, I was like, how did he word it? And then I was like, no, he did say the first person to tell me where the girl is will live. And to me, I would agree with the commerce elder. I would think that meant I got to live out the day at least. (laughs) More than just the next couple of minutes. He should have known that it was only going to allow him to live until he had coughed up all he had of value. And then when his value was over, his life would also then be over. But, you know, when you're strung up to a giant gear on a floating crap pile of survival, you're just trying to make it to the next hour any way you can. (laughs) I love floating crap pile of survival. That is my new favorite way to refer to the atoll. (laughs) But I also love how Dennis Hopper in this scene, he's holding on to his head and he's trying to remember. And obviously the trauma of losing an eye has scrambled his mind a little bit as far as his short term memory. It could also just be a busy day. Yeah. Yeah. He's no been through a lot. A day. And he doesn't have the benefit of going back to check the script to see, well, what did he say? Yeah. Because at that moment, every viewer is like, huh, what did he say? What did he promise? What was the bargain? And we're lucky that we get to go back and check. It also reminds me of days where, like, I have a lot going on at work and somebody comes up to me and asks me for something and I give them an answer. And then later they do a thing and I'm like, why are you doing that? (laughs) And they were like, well, you said I could. I'm like, "Mm, did I? (laughs) Did I say that? Or do you just know that when it's busy, if you ask me for something, I'll probably say yes to get you away from me. And then not remember. 
I'm a little disappointed in the ledger guy and the Nord that they didn't pipe up to comment on the situation because the only one that answers the question did i say that is the commerce elder and if he is biased in this situation <laughs> right he can't be trusted yeah he's unreliable narrator yeah and the other two were there yeah okay my favorite part about this whole thing is that rick you are a semantics type of person you are a letter of the law loophole type of person so you would have said that the deal was Tell me what you know. The first one who speaks gets to live. Well, he doesn't say how long he gets to live. Mm -hmm. In that moment, he got to live. So deal has been fulfilled. True lawful neutral. But the Deegan, <laughs> like, looks for another loophole by giving the gun to the Nord. Yeah. But that loophole doesn't satisfy the deal. He never said he wouldn't kill him. Right. He said that the Commerce Elder would live. So the Nord killing him still is a bad deal. The idea of Deacon saying that he wouldn't kill the Commerce Elder, that is an idea that the Commerce Elder threw out. No, 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 you said you wouldn't kill me. And the Deacon's right, like, yeah. well, I don't remember saying that, but if that's the rule. Then here. Yeah, I won't kill fine, you. Someone else will kill Bye. you. Yeah. He had a way to argue. No, you said I would live. And then if the Deacon wanted to, he could say, but I didn't say how long. Yeah. There was an available loophole that was easy, mm -hmm. and nobody took it. They don't practice law anymore in Waterworld. No, they do not. Which is evident by this deal. Like, that's why contract law is so complicated, because we started out <laughs> with crap like this. If you want a proper deal, you have to specify how long you live. You gotta get them deets. Would it have been cooler for the line to have been, instead of, you said you wouldn't kill me, if the line had been, you said, if I told you I could live, and then you have the deacon with the gun saying, yeah, but I didn't say how long, and then the deacon shoots him, or you go with the way it is structured now. And I'm not sure which is the quote-unquote cooler option. This movie isn't cool. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's this not movie fair. isn't cool. No. I actually kind of like the casual nonchalance that the deacon has about this interaction once he's done with it. He's just like, mm. I don't really remember what I said, but I got what I wanted out of you and I'm done here. So like here, crazy blonde man with your weird, weird hair, <laughs> you can have this thing. I'm tired of holding it anyway. I'm out. Whatever. I'm hungry. I think it definitely fits Deacon's character better. Yeah. It also feels like a very Dennis Hopper <laughs> bit of acting. Yeah. That's just a little crazy. He's got other things. He's a busy man. Yeah. His mind's already on the next step mm -hmm. when we get back to the D's. Is that the first reference to the D's? I believe by so. By name that we get? Yeah. Okay. So people who are like super paying attention, who've never seen the movie before, might hear that name, the D's, and extrapolate what ship they are talking about. Or they just assume that it's... D's as in diesel. Yeah. Diesel True. tanker, or a it's diesel a nut tanker. factory. Yeah, that's, I was, <laughs> I did not catch it when I was watching either the movie or the clip. And then as you were talking about it, Julia, all I could think of was D's nuts. I was just like, <laughs> I know, right? we got to get back to D's nuts. <laughs> 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 
this is an opportunity for the deacon to show that he is, like you said, Julia, thinking multiple steps ahead. Because once they get back to the D's, they're going to send up the seaplane, the skyboat. The skyboat. The skyboat. <laughs> send it out on patrol. And then my absolute favorite part of this clip. Oh, gosh. When the deacon <laughs> does the arm reach over his head and pulls up the thing and he says, we got to keep an eye out for that ickthy freak. <laughs> like, if you lose an eye, you're allowed to make puns like that. Forever. I Forever. absolutely agree. I'm on board with the eye puns. What I'm not on board with is him pulling off his bandages. He has <laughs> fresh wounds. They are still bleeding. Yeah, Probably not the environment you want to have some open wounds in. No. And how painful that must have been and dirty. Oh, yeah. They probably like stuck and like, yeah, ripping open anything pull. that might Ugh. start healing. Oh, it's awful. Mm, yeah. It's probably why he struggles to have a successful eye take later. <laughs> yes. Maybe, maybe if he'd left it covered. Yeah, his skull is riddled with bacteria and disease. Ugh. There, yeah, there's probably another life form in there that could see for him. <laughs> yeah, if only he, just he knew needs how to, to communicate with it. a partnership. Yeah, if only they could work out a contract <laughs> 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 with the bacteria in his eye socket. See, now all I can think about is the bug that crawls into fish and replaces their tongue. It's quite possibly the most horrifying parasitic situation I can think of. And, yeah, I, and now I can't I'm think thinking of, of it in relation to the deacon. <laughs> that a, a fish is gonna crawl into a skull and just function as a tongue out of that eye socket. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> it's not great. Uh, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> this society has forgotten the name for oil or fuel or whatever, and has to call it go juice. But they know the term. Ichthy, mm -hmm. as in short for like ichthyologist. Yep. Yep. They've retained that, but we got instead of a plane, we have a skyboat. And yeah. Yeah, it's weird. And the term ichthy, the deacon's not the first person to use that term. They use that term in the atoll. Those two societies are completely separated. So that scientific word is known and actively used in two unrelated societies. I don't remember seeing any mention of ichthy stuff in the 1991 Peter Rader script that I've been messing around with, so that might be David Toohey coming in and being like, ooh, I recently learned what ichthyology is. I'm going to throw that in <laughs> a bunch of different places. Well, it was word of the day on his toilet paper. Yeah. On a calendar or something, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. when I heard it, when I was watching it this morning, I heard fishy instead of ichthy, mm -hmm. and that made way more sense to me. <laughs> but also, they, I guess, to rationalize this a bit, the language he speaks later, he calls Portugreek. Mm -hmm. So maybe ichthus being a Greek root is part of Portugreek. Is the best explanation I can think yeah, of. Yeah, I like that explanation. It's an audio recording, so you can't see me shrugging, but I hope you could hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I would have appreciated hearing Fishy Freak because of the alliteration. I'm a sucker for alliteration. Yeah. It's funny you heard Fishy because I heard for a while Icky. <laughs> 
That's what I heard when I watched it in the two minute clip. Yeah, this icky I freak. Icky. <laughs> Ew, it's icky. Yeah, and then I was like, I don't feel like that's what I thought he said. But I didn't remember until I read it as ichthy freak that I heard fishy before. Yeah. As soon as I was actually paying attention to the movie and knew the deacon as a character, he would never use the word icky. He wouldn't call somebody yeah, an icky no. freak. It's not yeah, no. not his style. Fishy freak? Maybe. Yeah. That seemed pretty on brand to me. Yeah. Maybe in the theatrical release, it is fishy freak. For the unwashed masses. Yeah, they dumbed it down. That is yeah. entirely possible because I didn't know what ichthy meant. When it first came up several minutes ago, we had to look it up. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. No, I actually am that kind of nerd. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> you and Andrew Dorowski, because he went off, at least in the raw edit. I don't know if it actually survived into the full episode because I edit a lot of these episodes, so I can't remember exactly what was said in all of them, but... He went off this whole thing about how Ichthy Sapien and the the enlightened fish and blah, 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 blah. It's all very smart sounding, but. Eh. <laughs> I know what an ichthyologist is. <laughs> uh-huh. Got that. That's That was the extent of my. <laughs> I was like, mm, fish scientist can identify. We pull out from the atoll and get this lovely aerial shot. There is a bit of a problem with this aerial shot in the continuity of the film, however, because it is taken from an earlier portion of the movie where the smokers are starting to surround the atoll. So in this aerial shot, which is supposed to be at the end of the battle, the trimaran is still inside the atoll. The gates are still closed. Nothing is on fire. So the walls are intact. Yeah, it's the... Logical conclusion of, okay, we're cutting together a long cut of this movie and we need something additional to tie these scenes together. Rick, when you were first working on prepping the chopped up videos and your outlines, you pulled me over to a screenshot of this and you said, tell me what you see. And my first thing that I saw in this screenshot was that the atoll is shaped like the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> That's what I saw. <laughs> and now that's all I can see. But yeah, what I really like about this shot, even though it is incorrect in continuity, is it really get to see how big the trimaran is. Mm -hmm. It's huge. Yeah, it's like the size of my apartment. Easily. Like, I'm pretty sure. It might sure... be bigger than the footprint of our house. Yeah. Our entire house is probably oh. smaller than the trimaran. It's yeah, just it might be. Trimaran has a lot of extra aerial space yes. if that's the proper way to put it anyway the important thing about this shot is that it is the last we see of the atoll like this is it we're done 56 minutes almost an hour into this movie and the atoll set that they spent millions of dollars building is done we never come back to it well that's almost halfway through the theatrical cut so that's like you know not insignificant yeah looking at the overall structure of the story though it's kind of strange because our quote-unquote heroes have just begun their journey. In the formula of the hero's journey, the call to action takes a really long time. And the actual leaving on the journey takes a really long time. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's fine. Storytelling can be formulaic, but it's not cast in stone. I guess it all depends on how you define the story of Waterworld. If you look at the story of Waterworld 
as the Mariner, Helen, and Enola finding dry land, that story doesn't start until this moment here, where they are together and moving towards that goal. Everything else up to this point was just set up for that specific goal. Maybe then that requires us to define the movie differently. Because by that definition, that's only half the movie. So we have to define the movie not as the Mariner helping them, but as the Mariner learning that survival is insufficient. Mm. You know what? I just had a realization. It's like Beyond Thunderdome, because you could look at Thunderdome as the story of these kids making it to Tomorrow Morrowland. And if that's how you define it, then yeah, all of the Barter Town stuff is build up to Max finding these kids. Right. And the name Beyond Thunderdome, he doesn't go beyond Thunderdome till halfway through the movie. Yeah. This movie isn't called The Atoll, it's called Waterworld. <laughs> we have to go out into the wide world of water. So the story is about the Mariner, because I do agree that he is the main protagonist, if I have to call him that. <laughs> the main character is his existence on Waterworld and moving from one style of existence to another. Like Liz said, it's not just about survival. It's going from surviving to living. That description does kind of downplay Enola and Helen, but they are pivotal in helping him make those changes. Yeah, they're the catalyst for him to become different. Yeah. So up to this point, we have learned about how the Mariner exists and how he feels about how he exists, which isn't great. I mean, he's existing just fine. He's got this beautiful boat, but something bad happens to him. I feel like this isn't the first time bad things happen to him. That he Oh no, I feel like that's pretty a pretty regular occurrence. Yeah. That he's just sneaking and keeping keeping quiet from one atoll to another, getting supplies that he needs. And getting real mad when his limes get ripped off. Yeah. Which bruh, why you gotta steal all the limes? Why can't you leave him one lime? Nobody needs scurvy. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized that Waterworld, in a way, follows a rom-com formula because the Mariner is a man who thinks that he has it all until one day he meets a woman <laughs> and a girl, child, that are going to change <clears throat> his outlook on life. And this is their crazy story of them going out into the wide world of water to have madcap adventures and fall in love. And he's going to learn how to be a dad and a husband type and oh my gosh that's exactly what happens in a world covered with water <laughs> a man meets a woman who is not smart enough to cover up the tattoo on the back of a child <laughs> hijinks ensue <laughs> can you imagine if this was acted like a rom-com oh my gosh can you imagine if they had just had the sense to cover that girl's back right a more form-fitting shirt that doesn't slide all around. Get her a real shirt. Sew her up a jerkin. Yeah. They don't need Enola once they copy the tattoo. Because Gregor copied the tattoo. He had it drawn on a piece of paper. Yeah, but then he floated away by accident. Yeah, Oh my gosh, true. that was oh, so special. <laughs> <laughs> but there had to be a reason for them to be willing to go with covered in oh, just... Human funk man. 
<laughs> there had to be a reason for her to cut human funk man out of a cage that was being submerged in human funk. <laughs> Liz, I appreciate so much how grossed out you are by the organo barge. <gasps> you know what? And they wouldn't need that if they just knew about hydroponics. I realize that giving your water back to the tribe is like an important thing and sharing your remains with your people is a pretty common trope in stories about subsistence level living in groups of people and stories like dune it's a device that happens when you die you give your water back to the people yeah and on water world they've got water but they want your bones and minerals and whatnot and i get that that is valuable and we bury our dead so that they can enrich our soil and we can grow food out of it but like it doesn't have to be so disgusting if you just learn to grow plants hydroponically. Which is something that Immortan Joe did back in Fury Road. Yeah, that was my first thought. Huge hydroponic labs. Yeah, because they didn't have good dirt either. It sand. Spend some time coming up with some like desalination techniques and then like grow your shit in the water. <laughs> <laughs> then you don't have to like barter your soul for a pot of sand probably like that dirt that he brings is probably not even going to be that great for growing because nothing has died in it recently that's the only reason dirt is good for growing things because it has all the nitrogen and other nutrients from decay and it holds on to them and then the things that are growing take it out of the dirt and if it's just been at the bottom of the ocean for who knows how long there's no nutrients left in that dirt it's just loose soil i'm sorry about that probably questionable plant science rant we just went down <laughs> <laughs> let's move from plant stuff over to the trimaran we see that it is floating in the middle of the ocean doesn't really seem to be moving all that much and i think it's sitting still because the mariner is trying to perform some repairs on his boat we see him under the water taking this piece of fabric tarp whatever balling it up and shoving it into a hole in the hall. And I want to say this is in the center hall because of where people are sitting and the aftermath of this. But he stuffs it in there and then uses a piece of twine to lash it in place. And I did a little bit of Googling about, okay, how do you repair a boat in the water? And I did not realize that there is a thing called a collision mat for boats. And it is a large piece of canvas treated with a sealing agent, and then attached to lines at each corner. So basically, you take the lines and you position the collision mat over your hole, and then you tie the lines tight, and it slows the water getting into your boat. It doesn't completely seal it off, but it creates enough of a barrier that your boat is not going to sink as fast. They did something similar in a fantasy book I just audio booked, where when it like an old wooden sailing ship, they've got like resin or whatever in between the planks to try and seal it off. But when it takes a cannon hit, it can shake those loose and then you've got gaps in between your planks. So they would throw a section of sail on the outside. So the suction would suck the sail to the outside of the hole and it would slow the intake of water enough so that a crew inside could be re-pitching the seams, which... Fantasy book, who knows how good the physics of that are. 
I mean, it sounds right it, to me. It does. It sounds plausible. All of my science is questionable. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you put something on the outside, the pressure of the water is much greater than the pressure of the air inside the hull. Mm-hmm. So it's going to plaster that material mm-hmm. to the outside of the hull. And if it's woven tightly enough, then... Yeah, depending on the waterproofness of the fabric has various levels of effectiveness. His technique, though, where he's got this, I assume it's like a tarp type material. Yeah. He balls it up, shoves it in the hole, and then kind of straps it in place. So I really question the effectiveness of this. Would it have been better for him to fold up that fabric so that it was an appropriate size and lay it over the hole. Yeah, that seems like a better fit to me. I wonder maybe if it was hide or something, Mm. it would maybe take up enough room in that section of pontoon so that there couldn't be enough water taken in to sink it. What strikes me as odd about the whole thing is that he shoves it in the hole and then he lashes it so that it won't pop out of the hole. But if he's going to use his bilge pump to pull water out of that section of the hull, the water isn't going to suck the plug out. The water is going to push the plug in. I actually, when I was just watching it, I was like, is he stowing secret cargo down there? (laughs) (laughs) Like, it didn't even read as repairs to me. It literally looked like he was storing something in a secret hidey hole. That only he could get to because only he had gills. Rick, you're more familiar with the rest of this movie than I am. I really am kind of going two minutes at a time. Is this hole ever readdressed? Nope. Okay. I like Liz's (laughs) suggestion better than this being a proper repair. Because if he has moved some things that he wants to keep safe and secret from Helen and Enola, he moved them to a cabin a space in the hole that literally only he can get to a cache and he could present this activity as if he were doing repairs so that they wouldn't even know that no he was actually secreting something down there yeah i think that that's actually a better explanation i can understand why they would want to include this to show that the trimaran didn't get away completely unscathed did take damage but at the same time it doesn't seem like a smart way of going about it. And the Mariner is supposed to be the best nautical dude you could ever find. He knows this thing in and out, and he is just the best, capital B. My guess is, yeah, that's why it got cut. Yeah. Because <laughs> he also doesn't secure those ropes to anything. He sort of throws it over like it's going to have tension, like a bungee cord, but it's twine. It's twine, yeah. right. And... It doesn't even really have gravity to help it apply some tension. Right. There's no force to give it tension. Yeah, it's, it's going to float away. He can. Yeah. It looked like he like wound it a couple times around the fourth nail, which is fine. Sure. More or less. But over time, the water, like the buoyancy and the flow of the water is just going to work that loose. It's going to take like 10 seconds. Yeah. It's yeah. not going to take a lot of time. Right. By the time he's back up out of the water, those lines are probably loose. It will have worked itself loose. What's funny to me is that there are little nails or screws already in the boat. So he basically had to go in, put those nails. Like, I know you got a hole in your boat, but you got to put some more holes in your boat so you can tie up that hole in your boat. 
I did not see the nails at first. And my first thought was that he had magnets. <laughs> and I watched it again. I'm like, okay, he doesn't have magnets. What oh, is he doing? Magnets. That's what I should start hoarding. That will be the value oh I bring in the in the apocalypse. Yes, magnets would be really valuable. A brilliant idea. That's how I get the All right, others. I'm gonna put to an Amazon in order group. in for magnets. Some magnets. <laughs> Don't worry, I have magnets just all over my house because I do random crafts. So, but you're right. That's I got so handy, that's especially that. those yeah. small ones that are like super duper powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could attach things together. You can attach things to the side of a metallic hull. Yeah, it would really help you build shelter. Yes, without a lot of labor. Because you just get, you find your canvas and instead of having to somehow put a hole in your metal sheeting you found somewhere, because you did. Because, yeah. Well, the hulk of a burned out car. Yeah. So you find the hulk of a burned out car, hopefully an old car, so Mm -hmm. it's not made out of like plastic. And instead of having to, you know, drill holes in it wherever you want to lash down your tarp, you just stick a magnet on the outside of that bad boy. Save your energy. Or you sew the magnets into it. That is brilliant. And then when you go to like roll it up, the magnets all stick to each other so it stays bundled. That's what I did with my screen on my door. I sewed, ma- I sewed a seam and put magnets in the bottom. Yeah. Speaking of magnets, we have a metal topped kitchen island. So whenever I do like a big baking project or something, I will line the whole island with parchment paper And we have little magnets that sit on the rim on the outside so that we can just magnet down the parchment paper. Ugh, magnet. It's brilliant. (laughs) I can't believe I've never thought of that like in a post-apocalyptic setting before. Magnets win the apocalypse. (laughs) We have them sewn into all my pockets. And then you could attach it to the end of a stick and find things in the ground. Oh my gosh, how Ooh. useful would one of those super strong magnets that people use to dredge rivers? Yes. Yeah. Rivers. I saw a video just the other day of a guy who took one of those big strong magnets, ran it around his fire pit to pull all the nails out. Oh. So now you have a supply of like 20, 30 nails. Just stuck to the end of your magnet and you could beat somebody over the head with it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then... It's stuck in their skull and, you know, you pull your, you slide the magnet down so the nails stay and then you've got your clean magnet and you move on. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) We just solved the apocalypse. There we go. Yeah. Done and done. Was there anything else to cover? (laughs) No, no. The next part of this set of minutes has Helen and the Mariner sitting on the deck of the Trimaran and they're just sitting there looking at each other. I don't think we've ever had this sort of awkward situation before i'm trying to think back to mad max fury road it's not the same exact situation but it's similar furiosa picked up max and is bringing him with her but they don't have enough situations where they can sit here looking at each other being awkward before another action sequence comes together because fury road is you know well paced I am not particularly attuned to good pacing. You tell me all the time, Rick, oh, that movie was just so poorly paced. And I'm like, I don't know. It it was a funny movie. I I, I don't know. But this pacing issue was so egregious that it like slapped me in the face that we just finished this fantastic action sequence. that took like 15 minutes. 
We've been go, go, go for at least 15 minutes. No. I know you have to slow down at some point. That's how it works. And we get this moment that feels like it's supposed to be calm and serene. And instead, it drags. It's uncomfortable. And there's some good information happening. Yeah. The discussion about water. But as we were talking about earlier, half this conversation gets cut and we're fine. Two things. One, in a moment, I would like to return to how brave Kevin Costner is (laughs) for his hair in this movie. Yeah. (laughs) And two... Why did he let them come with him out of the city if he was just going to be a giant grumpy curmudgeon about them being there the whole time after they left? He didn't have to save them to get the gates open. He could have been like, yeah, hey, cool. I'll take you. Open those gates for me. It'll be totally chill. I'll swoop by. I'll pause. You'll hop on a sweet boat here and we'll live happily ever after. And then when they do get the gates open, he just glides on by opens up those sails and he's gone right like he made a choice the mariner has no integrity helen was hanging from some rigging or some stuff and he didn't have to pause he did not have to take them so the fact that he's being a whiny baby about them being there later is just total man syndrome I don't remember him necessarily pausing to wait for them to drop off of the gate onto the trimaran. He got the second half of the gate opening, he ran off the walkway, got onto his boat, and just started sailing. And mm, true. the fact that Anola and Helen got onto the trimaran, he wasn't going to wait for them to jump. I suppose that's fair. I wonder if in his head he was thinking, oh, if I just go. Go, 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 go. Speaking of trying to leave people behind and them showing up regardless. It looks like George Hendricks just dropped into our trimaran. Yeah, it's a good opportunity (laughs) for us to introduce George from the Mogwai Minute. Oh, hey, how's it going? I'm here. George is the second half of the podcast that may or may not ever become Way to Dune Minute, which Liz is also a part of. George, how you been? Uh, tired. (laughs) (laughs) He's been hanging on some rigging outside the edge of the city. Yeah, you just woke up from a nap. I did. I did. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, eventually. Now, George, real quick, what is your experience with Waterworld? I saw it back when it came out, and that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Did you see it in the theater? I don't think so. I, I was working at a video store at the time, and I watched most of my movies through that. Yeah. That sounds excellent. So that's probably where I saw it. It was like, oh, this is free. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's probably when I, uh, I like, latched onto it. And I remember like, like thinking, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool, you know, as far as just, you know, seafaring, post-apocalyptic, literal steampunk movies go. It's not often you see a concept like Waterworld. But I think part of it was like the length and then like the payoff was not there so it was like oh water world's on but God, it's so long there's a lot of jet skis okay um yeah i'll probably skip that and then i just never watched it again that's my story all right <laughs> so now is when we go back to kevin costner's brave hair yeah oh god and it's it's so thin in the sun it's so thin there is the rumor that they used part of the cg budget for this movie to make kevin costner's hair appear a bit fuller Ugh. I'm not sure they spent enough. They did not spend enough. 
Yeah, they needed more. Was he rocking a full Rick before the CG? They needed some full Lucas CGI prequel. Yeah. Kevin Costner's always had like a full head of hair, right? I'm trying to think of movies that I know him from. He's had like that receding widow's peak since like The Bodyguard. Yeah. It's just now it's receded to the back of his head, apparently. And water is not kind to Mm -mm. those of us with thin hair. No. It's like, I can see your skull. It really makes you worried for him as far as like sun exposure is concerned. Because if that thin hair clumps together and exposes so much of his scalp, that's going to deal some damage there and make that hair fall out even faster. Then you get that scalp burn and it itches. Yeah, that boy needs a hat. Why don't they have hats? They don't have land, but they have hats, right? Like they had hats Even on the atoller. Yeah. He should have stolen a hat off of an atoller. Yeah, or made it dead. from like. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, he's he's built a magical mystery boat. He can't weave himself a hat. All right, here's a good Some question. Fronds. There are many kinds of hats. What kind of hat would the mariner wear? A beanie. Yeah, like a fisherman's hat, like a thick woolen beanie. I feel like he would have something with a brim, though. Something he could tip and go, my lady. He would wear a trilby. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so if I'm thinking of like a hat I could weave out of like, I don't know, kelp or something, it would probably be kind of con- kind of like a witch's hat, probably, mm-hmm. honestly, because conical seems like it would be the easiest way to secure it at the top. But then I would bend the fronds somehow to give myself a brim. Just for the jaunty look. No, to keep the sun out of my eyes. And because... Having a brim in the back will also sort of help keep the sun off the back of your neck as well. Although you know you're describing like a leaf-based KKK hood. <laughs> no, they don't have brims. Maybe they should. Just, you know, from a, from a no. fashion standpoint. <laughs> That's why I said brim. It's like a witch's hat, but made out of sea trash but the, it's the part on the back that's throwing me that covers his neck it's like oh yeah that's uh, i mm-hmm, i saw that in like forrest gump have you seen a witch's hat the brim goes all the way around so there's a brim that sticks out but i'm thinking like a hat mullet that like covers his neck well he's wearing a mullet so i think a hat mullet would be appropriate <laughs> in the sunlight he's got a skullet i feel <laughs> like the style of hat we're looking for I really hope it's called a dooley. It's the kind of hat that you see in Southeast Asia, people out there working in the rice paddies. It's called a coolie. Okay, that's even better. It's basically what they have on in the atoll. Yeah. There's some coolie hats in there. Those are pretty cool. It's just a cone, and you drop it on top of your head, and it gives you plenty of shade. But it would also limit your field of vision. Yeah. Yes. So the Mariner is sacrificing sun safety for field of view. Yeah, yeah. He's got to be able to survey all this fine ocean. Maybe the planet's been like this for so long that everyone who is susceptible to skin cancer has already died from it. And these are just like the genetic remnants. Maybe that's how he got the gills. Yeah, that's cool. I would want the Mariner to dive down to the ocean floor. And aside from getting ski poles and thigh masters and things like that. Maybe he swims past a hat shot and he finds like a leather cowboy hat. Mm -hmm, Yeah. The underwater haberdashery. Exactly. (laughs) Speaking of his hair and gills, though, I feel like his haircut is not conducive to gill breathing. Mm. Should not he have his hair short behind his ears? Yeah, like shaved close on the sides. 
Yeah. Oh, that would be a look. Like a mohawk that's gotten out of bounds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're going to take the bits they shaved off and put them on the top part and fill yeah. it out. Mm, yeah, like plugs. Just fill it yeah. out. Yeah, fill it mm-hmm. out. Or just weave them into like a hair mat. <laughs> Make his own t- uh, toupee. Yeah. <laughs> hair hat, mat. Hat, literal hat hair. Yeah. <laughs> so have we addressed the part where she refers to water as hydro? That drives me nuts. In water world, water is the stuff you float on, not the stuff you drink, because that's hydro. Well, that's desalinated water. Yeah, When someone takes just a normal word and changes it to make it seem more spacey, like Star Wars' use of thermal for everything. <laughs> As in Empire Strikes Back, when, when, when 3P was walking down with Artie, goes like, you're the one who turned on the thermal heater. You can't, it's like a heater heater. You can't call a thermal <laughs> heater a thermal heater. Just because it's spacey doesn't make it work. Stop it. Thermal detonator, fine. Thermal heater, I'm out. A thermal heater is a heater wearing a waffle knit crew neck t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Just two buttons on that. Just two, though. <laughs> wearing a Henley. So that whole, like, oh, we're going to make this more sci-fi by just changing words. Like, don't. Just the no. words are not different. Just the world. I think if you lived in a world where water was what you floated on, but you couldn't drink the water you floated on, you might have a differentiating word. For the water you could drink. Liz, you're very sus right now. You want him to call it drink water? Would that have been better? Sipping water? <laughs> sipping water? That's sipping water. This is my sipping water. Just call it water drink. They talk about how, what is it, the Inuit people have like 27 words for snow? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That old standby? Yeah. I guarantee you not one of them is thermal hydro. <laughs> <laughs> well, how else are you going to steep your tea? Ugh. How else are you going to make your crazy... Weird bicycle balloon float into the sky. <laughs> your airboat or airship, whatever they no, called it. No, your the skyboat. That's skyboat. That's an actual plane, not the yeah, bicycle. Yeah, that's a plane. Ship. That's again. That's another thing. Go pick that skyboat and fly it around. Gotta keep an <laughs> eye out for that icky one. <laughs> George missed the part of the conversation where we discussed that it wasn't icky. That was what he said. He says icky, although I'm sure it's short for like ichthian, like fish. He says ichthy. Yeah. Well, it sounds like icky, and the way he says it, <laughs> thank you. Icky. <laughs> I love how this part of the conversation is tied back, almost like a callback to earlier in the episode. Where we're like, how come they got words like ichthy, but they also but call seaplanes skyboats? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, that's truth. These people are ridiculous. I'm only mad because George is saying things I've already said. <laughs> <laughs> what? We're just backing each other up. It's all right. We'll have plenty of listeners who are like, oh, they've already tread this. Good. I'm mad on your behalf. You're all a bunch of atolls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've also heard that complaint that we say atoll too closely to a-hole. I mean, that's what I thought he said when he first said it. Like, I salvaged it from an asshole. I was like, what? <laughs> Wait, hold on. Go back. No, that's not what he said, but that's not what it sounded like you said. Wait, did we say atoll wrong? It's atoll. Oh, that's true. It is atoll, not atoll. I like atoll better. Yeah. More power to you. You guys are from the Northeast. You have to bifurcate your words. Yeah. yeah. We say it different. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that at all. <laughs> I don't think I've probably said that word the same way twice ever in my entire life. So <laughs> I got no dry land to stand on. <laughs> you know what that works too 
Did they name her Enola because she's alone? Yes, they did. Mm. Is that in the movie? Or did you learn that because of Enola Holmes? Well, I mean, you did it before, but when Enola Holmes came out, I was like, yeah, it makes sense. And that's kind of like a poignant character development point. And this is like, well, she's by herself, so she's uh, Enola. Wait, so does that mean that airplane, the Enola gay, was really like Yag alone? It was like one gay plane. <laughs> Sounds dirty. <laughs> well... It was the 1940s. They had different views back then. Yeah. No pairing. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Helen does that thing that you do when you're stuck in an awkward situation and say, oh, I know what you're thinking. Before Helen continues, what is the Mariner thinking? Probably thinking, man, this hydro would go longer if I didn't have these two people on the boat. He's probably thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's thinking about how we can get rid of them. I think he's thinking about why that girl who has a secret on her back is only wearing part of a shirt. <laughs> That's subtle. So the Mariner probably is thinking exactly what Helen says he is. The idea that three people on a boat drinking water is going to make that water go down a lot faster. I know we've talked about recommended water consumption in the past because it's something you see a lot in a desert movie. You got to have good water discipline. Mm -hmm. When Helen says that Anola won't drink much. According to the Mayo Clinic, children don't have to drink as much water as adults, so that's true. Helen not drinking at all is a bit more dicey. It's not healthy. The human body can survive for about three weeks without food, but only three to four days a week at most without water. She's signing a death sentence if she thinks that she can wait to drink water till they arrive at a place that they have not discussed where they are going or how long it's going to take to get there. Yeah. Wherever they got that dirt from. I have a question. If we have people who have adapted to the point where they have gills and a little girl with a mysterious back tattoo, and she is not 18, so we don't know how I got that. Why have they <laughs> not adapted the ability to drink and consume salt water? Well, or he's got a contraption that will turn his urine into potable water. How yeah. much easier would it be to desalinate some ocean water? Mm -hmm. Urine is just as salty as ocean water. Literally, all you have to do is heat it up in some copper tubing. And when the water boils, it'll separate from the salt. And you'll have fresh water and salt for your fish that you cook. Mm. You get seasoning and drinkable water. And you have an endless supply. The Mariner's devotion to this filter that he uses on his trimaran is ridiculous and i hate it it would need to be way less mousetrap if <laughs> all he was trying to do was filter the salt out of seawater he wouldn't have to have all those different valves and beakers and whatever it's literally like a pot pipe pop Deal. Yeah, you, but the thing is, you'd have this really good contraption for just desalinating your water. Then you just tweak a few things, and you can make piss rum. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Never considered that, George. That's a, <laughs> yeah, has, a new has one. Not come up yet. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the origin of Kraken, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's probably. Just, it's distilled from large Kraken urine. <laughs> Which apparently they have giant sea monsters in this world now. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Spoilers for later in the movie. What if it's like one of those things where like, you know how they say a goldfish only grows the size of its bowl? Mm -hmm. Then like, mm. and you have these escaped koi, they get out into the water and now they have 
just boundless room to grow in. And so they just, that's, that's the sea monsters, like a giant goldfish. <laughs> Decorative koi. They're very expensive. And if you're not careful, they get eaten by raccoons. Oh, yeah. Because the raccoons got real big, too. But now they're sea raccoons. Sea raccoons. Hmm. Maybe that's what attacks them later is a sea raccoon. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> His fingers are so dexterous. <laughs> I'm not a fan of how Helen starts talking about she's not going to drink until they get there. And the Mariner's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, wherever you get your dirt. Because that wasn't part of the plan when she joined up with him. Oh, there was no conversation about what the deal actually was. Again, we need a contract lawyer. These people Pray are so they bad don't at alter deals. it further. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there needed to be a conversation. And of course, it wasn't going to happen during the attack. It should have happened right now. If this is the first quiet moment after the repairs are done to the ship, that they get to actually have a conversation, now is when they're like, okay, here's what I'm willing to do for you. Here's what I'm hoping to get. Yeah. If you disagree, there's the off ramp into the ocean. Mm-hmm. That's what they're, they're doing, like, I guess. But being all awkward and not actually talking about it. Communication is key, people. Helen is coming at right? it from an assumptive position instead well, of a negotiative position. Yeah. What should be happening is a negotiation, a discussion of terms. So the Mariner's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Where Where am I going? Well, what's his plan? What does he <laughs> think he's going to do with them? He's mm. like, this is my life. I mean, he just fixed a pontoon boat with a rag. <laughs> no, he was storing secret treasure. Is that what it was? Yeah, we decided. Uh, okay, secret treasure in the pontoon, not keeping it from taking on Hydro. Well, right, because those nails were already there. It's a stash spot. Mm. It's what he uses it for. So he keeps his weed. Yeah, it's <laughs> his seaweed. And that's why he's not, that's why he doesn't do a good job of sealing it. I'm going to talk right over that. Because he's got bulkheads and it doesn't actually go further into the pontoon. Mm. I've continued to think through this treasure sash theory. Have you done an in-depth research on the like the cross sections of a pontoon? Uh, I did a deep dive on uh, <laughs> how it. he would use this as his stash. <laughs> <laughs> Although, if she didn't like what he had to say, she could always go off on her own, and they could do a sequel and call it Helen Highwater. Oh, oh a sequel! Like sequel. Waterworld 2, the sequel. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, the sequel to like Waterworld is actually just the Waterworld stunt show at Universal. Well, they set it up where it's like Helen has returned to the atoll and there is calamity that ensues because the Mariner shows up again and the Deacon comes back. It's terribly confusing as far as continuity is concerned, but it is a sequel. Oh, yeah. You should write a letter. Man, if they were running that show right now, they might actually read that letter. The squeakle. Water roll two. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it's got Alvin and the Chipmunks. It's crazy. There's cameos left and right. Urkel's in there. Did I do that? <laughs> He's got one eye. The nineties are alive and well on Waterworld. Oh yeah, they're living hard. Clarissa's there explaining it all. People are blasting pure moods. There's definitely a level of miscommunication between Helen and the Mariner, something that is going to be hashed out over the next several episodes, I'm sure. Yeah, you can't have a movie with any sort of romantic undertone without having those two characters not communicate clearly about anything. Yeah. As we mentioned before, in the rom-com fashion, they've already had their meet-cute and they're starting to interact. This is the portion 
of the movie where they start to fall in love. And then in the third act, there's going to be a misunderstanding because he's going to overhear something or she's going to do something foolish and it's going to split them apart. And then there's going to have to be that 11th hour desperate show of affection sort of thing to bring it all back together. Great. Now we don't have to watch the rest of the movie. We know what's going to happen. I'm happy we could do that for you, Julia. <laughs> like, you need to see how it plays out. I was watching the two-hour cut of this earlier, and I was just like, this movie's real boring. Can't imagine an extra hour of this. So bless you, Julia. I do think that we are transitioning into a part of the movie that is a bit more of a struggle. You mean Uncharted Waters? Yes. Hit the nail on the <laughs> head there, George. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they should call the director's cut, the Uncharted Waters edition. Instead of, what is this called? Hyperion? Hy- the Ulysses Ooh. cut. Oh, yeah, okay. Because there's a scene they add in at the end where the name is mentioned. And that is like the only reason. Not in reference to this being like an odyssey for the Mariner? Yeah, in a way. Helen gives him a name because he's always just been the Mariner. Oh, What's his name, Steve? Ulysses? (laughs) Yeah, so she's like, I'm going to give you a name. I'm going to call you Ulysses. And he's like, cool, I'm going to leave. Your name's Chad. (laughs) Chad. Hey, Chad. Hey, water Chad. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so they are trying to allude to this being like a hero's journey. Yeah, I mean... Helen is essentially Helen of Helen Troy. Helen of Troy? Mm-hmm. Wait, but she's not part of Ulysses' story. And she's, I mean, she's all right looking. <laughs> oh, come on, George. <laughs> Jean Triplehorn looks great Well, after in this the movie. whole for initial battle, she's like the face that sank a thousand ships, right? I mean, that's not wholly inaccurate. inaccurate. Yeah. Because, like, Ulysses is just the Roman Odysseus, right? Oh, I love stumbling around in the dark when stuff is like this comes Ulysses. up. Well, this is our this is our Western education, right? Is Ulysses Odysseus? That's the same. Uh, that's the uh, first uh, Google. Oh my gosh! Right yeah, there. it is the Roman name for Odysseus. <laughs> Boom! Public school education. I got you. <laughs> Just as long as we're not confusing that with the Tennyson poem or the James Joyce novel. Both of which are very long. Yeah, I really did remember that. Cool. Good job, Liz. It's basically her calling him Odysseus. Mm -hmm. They just went on an odyssey. A Honda odyssey. (laughs) No, that's the brand of the jet ski. (laughs) I was really pleased with myself when I figured out why they call them smokers. Because it's where they keep their turkeys? No, because they're the only ones that when they travel, there's smoke. Because everybody else travels by air or steam power. Mm-hmm. So there's no smoke, but the ones with the go juice make smoke. Plus, they're the ones with those cigarettes. Well, and they do smoke cigarettes. Yeah, that's true. They've evolved out of lung cancer, too. <laughs> do you think they started smoking because people called them smokers? And they were like, well, we got to complete the look. Yeah, we got to stick to brand. It's our idiom. They're really worried about marketing. The Deacon is all about image. He really is. He's going to put a fake eye in that eye hole he's got. And he can go like, I gotta keep my eye on you. <laughs> and throw it at people. Yeah, he'll take it out, put it on him like, my eye's on you, bud. Yeah, if I had a fake eye, I would definitely take it out and throw it at people and said, I'm keeping my eye on you. I would vomit all into your empty <laughs> eye hole if you touched me with your 
fucking fake eyeball. I would throw up in your eye hole. Like just in there. God, just fill it up. It's like, put that thing back in now. It's not this next three episodes from here, but the episode number 32. That's the one where we get to have some fun with fake eyes. Just keep, Excellent. just cut this clip out and then put it in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah we'll, we'll just drop it in there. I'm sure. We've tackled it for you already. <laughs> we got it. Again, magnets. <laughs> you magnet your fake eye in there and then you can remove it and oh. toss it at people to make your yes. jokes. Just <laughs> like plant one in the back and then one in the back of the eye and yeah. just easy pop in, pop out. Or put one of those like little belt dongle thingies in your eye so you can touch it with it and then drop it and zoop, it comes right back. No magnet. <laughs> <laughs> it's convenient that way. Here at the end of the episode, it's always good when two drifters meet that something is exchanged. So, George and Liz, if you could tell our listeners where they can find more of your stuff. Scattered around the internet like treasure in a pontoon. In my underwater pontoon stash? <laughs> yeah. Well, you can listen to me on the Mogwai Minute, and then that's about it. I would do a lot of guest spots, but I haven't had, like, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, so that's fun. <laughs> Oh, I'm working on another show, sorry, that's like coming out in the beginning of the year. It's an episode-by-episode discussion of the show Elementary called Elementary, My Dears. That's actually a thing that's happening later next year. <laughs> there you go. Yep, I did Mean Girls Minute. Yep. And you can find me on there and then on the various other Movies by Minutes shows. I just show up and sometimes I don't leave. And doesn't say anything. She just kind of shows up and sits there. So guess which episode she's on. <laughs> Surprise. Maybe all of them. You have to listen to them all to figure it out. Sometimes I just drop in. Yep. Just sitting there on the deck of the ship, playing with your necklace, not really doing much. Not drinking any hydro till we get there. Nope. As for us, we will be coming back next time. Helen will carry on about Dryland. The Mariner will moan about his damaged ship and Enola will be sent below deck. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. Waterworld was written by Peter Rader and David Tuohy, directed by Kevin Reynolds, and presented by Universal Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute. And like us on Facebook by searching MadMaxMinute and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit Patreon.com slash MadMaxMinute. Thank you for joining us for Waterworld episode 28. We'll see you next time.